Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes already. This is a Mesh Musings episode where I do a relatively short overview, some might call a few of them rants, on a specific topic related to Data Mesh. I try to put uh, you know my few summary takeaways in the show notes too to make it easy to decide if this will be useful for you. Quick reminder as well to hit the Data Mesh Understanding link in the show notes to easily review listings of past episodes you might have missed, you know, that I've grouped up on different topics to make it easy if you want to do like a deep dive into governance or something like that. Do check out the Data Mesh Understanding offerings as well and the free community introduction and roundtable programs while you're there. Now with that, on to the Mesh Musing. False Dichotomies and Baseless Binary Choices, Why We Need New Thought Approaches in Data, Mesh Musings number 33. So I'm going to say some things that feel kind of obvious to most, but should be a gut check at the same time to you. So please really do listen here. Jamak covered this a bit in Jamak's Corner number six, episode 140, but I thought I could delve into it a bit more. So Life isn't ones and zeros, people, right? It is not black and and white. Would that it were, and it would probably make life easier for us all, but it's not. I am constantly seeing these false dichotomies, this only binary thinking, especially from data influencers. It is either a one or a zero, and they aren't helpful in the slightest in my view. And honestly, human brains crave that level of certainty. They crave somebody telling them, you know, this is the way it is X or it is Y. But these influencers reduce what is often a more nuanced discussion to being for or against. You know, a lot of the consultants that come on, they keep using the phrase, it depends. And some people get frustrated by that. But we can talk about, you know, what is the 80% and what is the 20% when things are kind of that biased between those two or that that it falls to one side much more than the other, but it still depends. And much as data isn't useful, if all you know is the value, you know, is it 53 or 26 or eight? What are you measuring? You know, is it a one or a zero? The metadata around what we're doing is important. The context and the ability to interpret is crucial. And that rarely leads to only black or white, but differing shades of gray. Yes, we want to work towards actually having concrete answers to things or that we are relatively sure within, you know, a uh, P interval of X or, you know, 0.05 or whatever. But in the meantime, ambiguity, it will always exist. It's somewhat of a necessary evil and it always will be, right? throw that binary thinking in the bin. This is where I'm seeing the worst offenders in 
data mesh and related topics. So data contracts and data ownership. Let's start with data contracts. The concept of data contracts, if you look at it, like where it came from is borrowing heavily from API contracts, which were then extended to schema contracts. And then subsequently, many people have extended them to data sharing as data contracts. If you want some brilliant work on schema contracts, go look up stuff by Gwen Shapira, right? But schema is really only half, if even that, of the meaning of data. As said earlier, the metadata, right? You can even refactor and have a column mean something totally different. And if the schema itself didn't change, while the intent of the schema contract is broken, the tooling we use to measure schema contract compliance probably wouldn't detect it in a lot of cases. We need to incorporate in the meaning of the, the data and that it shouldn't change without consumers being alerted, right? And guess what? At current, we do not really have a great way of even checking the semantics. Semantic drift is really hard to even think about, much less detect. Does this column still even mean the same thing anymore? You know, obviously, Asylum talked about that in uh, episode, I think, number nine. So how can you have something measuring if you are still complying with a data contract if you can't really even measure the semantics? The real world has changed and is ever-changing. When do we need to refine, redefine what we are sharing, even if we are still using the same schema? I tried to dig into this a bit with the brilliant Yelena Samulova in episode 120, but this doesn't mean we shouldn't use data contracts, right? Some other questions that are coming up around data contracts where I think the answer needs to be it depends is like when new users come on board to an existing data product, can they just piggyback off the existing data contract, those SLA terms, right? Do we want each consumer to have an actual stated compliant usage agreement or can they just consume from a data quantum at will? How do we actually evolve things when they need to evolve? And many more questions. Saying that things should only be one way is rigid and we need flexibility to deal with an ever-changing world. Elena gave the great example of in engineering, something that is overly rigid is brittle, right? It's very brittle. And something that is overly flexible can't support the weight of something, right? Both are bad in most circumstances, especially when you think about like an actual bridge. You don't want a really brittle bridge and you don't want one that can't support any weight. So a lot of times it's not a black or a white, a one or a zero, right? There's nuance. So in contracts as a word, at least in the American kind of typical usage, aren't really made to be broken. Agreements are more typically made to be re renegotiated. So I even recommend using the phrasing of data sharing agreements over data contracts when you're talking about this internally. I also think that data contracts cannot function if they set what is shared and, and how it is shared in stone. But this is not how many are looking at them. There needs to be give and take from data producers and consumers alike. Producers need to agree to take reasonable care to not break and then remediate if they do break what data consumers are expecting. You know, this is where we talk about data product versioning and things like that. But data consumers need to understand the actual reality of the world. 
If there is an external feed of data that gets shut off or augmented, of course, that producer can't keep sharing exactly what they were before. And we need some communication between teams to keep in touch and make sure things on both sides are still as expected. But we expect systems to instead say, is this compliant or not? Of course, we need SLAs and observability and monitoring to ensure SLAs so that people can trust the data, but it's not a one or a zero. So a few good episodes around data contracts in the early episodes of, of this podcast would be obviously Asylum episode nine. He has some very specific ideas around this stuff, as does Abe Gong, who's the co-creator of Great Expectations in episode 65. An even bigger pet peeve of mine um, in regards to data mesh and binary thinking is, again, around data ownership. There seems to be a movement, a very misguided movement, I think, of just kind of foisting ownership on domain teams when they're not capable or bought into owning data, right? Treating data ownership as a hot potato is not going to go well. Yes, there will be domains that you eventually will kind of have to force to own data potentially, but it isn't a one or a zero, right? Who's completely or utterly responsible? Yes, long-term shared ownership has always proven to be a bit of a challenge, right? That's not what I'm suggesting. That shared aspect of ownership in the long run gets very messy and complicated. But as I think you'll see from episode 148 with Adele McDonald at uh, ANZ+, you can have intermediate steps. In in most cases, domains are not ready for truly owning all the data they produce and share from day one, right? So we need to work with producing domains to build up their capabilities and trust in themselves, as well as build the trust with data consumers in those uh, data producers as we raise producing domains, data knowledge and capabilities, right? We need to do that via tooling and training and the space to actually cognitively learn and giving them the, the time on their backlogs to actually own the data once they understand. You'll hear more about kind of doing that from Carlos Sauna in episode uh, 150. Um, so again, this is uh, another binary thing of who owns it? Is it A or is it B, right? And I don't mean to be pejorative here, but think of working with a kid learning to ride a bike, right? First, it's probably a tricycle, then it's a bicycle on training wheels, and then it's a bicycle, but you put all the protective gear of all time in a controlled environment on them, right? A flat street or a parking lot, no traffic, while limiting their speed. Do you go from somebody saying, I want to learn to ride a bike to, okay, here's a bike, go ride it to school four miles away in the same week? No, you build up the capabilities over time. And you can talk about what ownership means. I, you know, I, I always think of three-tiered support, right? Who's the first call? It should probably be to the domains, even when they are still just learning. But that top-tier support, when there's a really big problem, as the domains learn and grow, that will probably be your data team that you are decentralizing until they're really capable of doing that, no, right? They need backup until they can really live without that backup. Are you trying to throw the domains in the deep end, you know, sink or swim? Well, then they will just decide they don't want to go to the pool. There are lots of other places where binary thinking comes into play. And sometimes life 
really is binary. You know, did you get the job? Yes or no? Did your team win the game? Etc. Right. But even things that feel binary, like did you get the promotion? Did they say yes to whatever you asked them? It might not be. It might be that they said no now and they'll say yes later or or whatever, right? You might not have gotten the promotion today, but you might even get it later, right? Do you really have... One, one thing that I think we really need to f- reflect on is do we really have no ability to have ambiguity? I know it's so funny when we look at trying to measure the value of data work and, and, you know, how effective data work is and things like that. We have very little capability, the more people that I talk to, of actually measuring the effectiveness of data work, um, especially when you think about it in financial terms, which seems silly because we don't have data about what we're doing around data. We have to be able to live with some ambiguity and we have to be able to say, hey, we're headed in, in a good direction or this is working, but I can't tell you it is working to, you know, it is working this well to this many decimal points. We need to have ambiguity and we need to be flexible around things. We can't have, you know, okay, the domains now own all of the data from, and they didn't own it yesterday and now they do. Versus you can say, hey, you are now going to own your data. That is kind of what has been decided, but we're going to help you along that way. I think we have to have more open-ended conversations and be more flexible, right? And the cost of change in iteration in data has been very high historically. This has come up all in a lot of places. That isn't nearly the case now. Take advantage. Don't get caught in these false binary choices, right? Focus on what really matters and have some ambiguity And yes, at some point, you're going to have to pin people down on, okay, you now own the data and all this, but we don't have to define something for the forever today. We have to think about how we're going to set ourselves up to adapt and evolve. And part of that is not that binary thinking, that simplistic, it would that it were, right? Would that it, that the world were that easy and simple to bucket into you know, A or B or one or zero, but it's not. So with that, Scott out. Hopefully that was a useful mesh musing for you. Please do rate and review the podcast. It really does help. And if you'd like to get in touch and see how I can be helpful to you, check out the show notes. I'm pretty easy to find. As I mentioned, there are some great free programs in addition to some very affordable things around implementer intros and roundtables on the Data Mesh Understanding website. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And with that, now on to the funky outro music.